everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feely. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. <laughs> so we're doing a little bit of a different episode today. We wanted to give people some um, more actionable tips as we're coming into the holiday season. We get a whole lot of questions about, you know, how do you guys eat? How do you, how do you navigate diet and gut issues when you're eating out? What do you do over the holiday season if you're eating in other people's houses? And so today in our episode, we want to talk about what kind of foods you want to be on the lookout for over the holiday season, what kind of foods might be uh, potentially having more of a problematic impact on your gut, what kind of foods might be a little bit safer, what are some alternatives or substitutions you might be looking out for. And, you know, we're not here to say you can't enjoy yourself, you can't enjoy a meal out, you can't enjoy, um, you know, cooking a nice big family meal we're saying there might be some better options for people to consider that might be a little bit easier on their gut. And so we did cover gluten in our episode last week. If you guys haven't had a chance to listen to that, maybe pause this and and head over to that. Um, But we're going to start just really quickly by covering gluten as a, as a starting point, because that's something where most people are going to be exposed to that in some shape or some form. If you go out to a restaurant, you go out to a cafe, there's always going to be gluten in the menu. So if you are exposed to gluten, we have covered, you know, what kind of impact gluten might be having on the microbiome, what kind of impact it could be having on the gut lining. But if you are going somewhere where you might be exposed to gluten, there are a couple of things you can do to mitigate a little bit of that. So Dave, as a starting point, what can people do to mitigate some of the damage that could occur if they're exposed to gluten? Okay, so what, like obviously what we covered when we, when, we, when we went into a lot of depth around the gliden molecule and, and a lot more depth with gluten, we talked about that there are other options out there. And we, we talked about those like triticum durum weeds. And, Which I found, yeah. by the way, after our podcast, I went and got some pasta. Uh, have you tried it? I, no, actually, it's in my pantry. I need to give it a go. <laughs> Got to give it a try. So that's like uh, semolina. Um, and then there's, you know, like a, a good quality fermented sourdough and rye, bet, rye bread where the gliding concentration is lower. Um, so, you know, we talked about a lot of these things, but okay, you can't really determine that all the time. So that's probably a really important point. So we don't want people to really like stress about this. Okay, so yes, there is some detrimental harm when it comes to hyperpermeability of the intracellular type junctions. So what about like taking enzymes to actually help you to break down the gluten? helping to break down the gliden molecule. And so there, there is plenty of p- products out there that actually do that, okay? And they've got like a mixture of like protease uh, theroblend and amylase theroblend. And then you've got uh, dipeptidyl peptidase and it'll probably come out as, uh, what is it? Uh, DD. Uh, I think it's DDPIV. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. DDPIV. And then you've got even uh, glucoamylase. So like these are some of the like the, the major enzymes and you probably just get like a blend of those. Yeah. So typically uh, these will all be in the same kind of product. I know there's some that are marketed like uh, there's some called like gluten guardian. I think um, masszymes maybe sell one. Uh, I think um, even is it like microbiome labs? Maybe they sell one. I forget. There's a few different companies that, that sell these products. I don't personally use them a whole lot, but you know, for this all intents and purposes, that would be a good option for sure. 
Yeah. So there's just like that. That's that's an option. Okay. At least to just help you to break it down. Mm. Um, we're not necessarily going to go touch on glide and, and gluten even more than that, mm. but just giving you things that you can apply just to help you to mitigate some of the damage. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Just on, you did say at the start, it can be hard to know kind of what wheat places are using or, you know, what sort of, what the product's actually made out of. Um, I personally, and I don't have any significant gut issues, um, but I still don't consume gluten in my day-to-day life. But if I were to go out, what I would personally do is if I found a place that sells or they specify they use an organic wheat um, or like an organic wheat sourdough, typically I'm going to be happy enough to consume that. So if I go to a cafe and they advertise, and actually if they advertise to use an organic wheat sourdough, I'd normally choose that over the gluten-free option for myself because for me, gluten doesn't have a massive impact. Typically speaking, the gluten-free option is not going to be organic. Like they're normally just going to get that from some, you know, commercial kind of bakery as opposed to making it on the premises with organic wheat or organic flour. So that's typically what I would do. That's my sort of line in the sand. If I can find an organic sourdough, I'm normally going to be happy to consume that. Uh, And then the other option as well, I just wanted to mention, and I'm not sure if you've sort of come across this much, Dave, but um, there are a lot of people who do talk about um, even the efficacy of something like apple cider vinegar in helping not so much with the gliadin, but even more with like the glyphosate. Have you come across some of that? It's not something that I've like used with clients, but okay. you know, I'm, look, I'm sure there might be some literature and some research mm-hmm. around that, but it's, it's not something that I've used directly for that. I know Dr. Zach Bush, he's really big on it. So I don't know if people want to check out some of his work, but he does talk about using apple cider vinegar to help um, essentially like clear out glyphosate. So, and there's other benefits, obviously, to apple cider vinegar. I think we've talked about that in the past too. So that could be something, it's not super convenient to bring a bottle of apple cider vinegar with you to, you know, a cafe, but it might be worth having in the morning or in the evening when you're at home, that could be worth adding in as well. Yeah. So should we move into a, another area? Like I, I actually thought like this is, this is something that, you know, I think you brought up um, when we were just uh, having a conversation and that's just like exposure to things like seed oils. Mm. Um, and, you know, once again, this is going to be pretty hard. It's sort of like a lot of this is sort of like out of your control, but like yeah. once again, it's really important to understand like what can you do around this? Yeah. Okay, so we're we're talking about like polyunsaturated fats, okay, like what the poofers. And look, I guess what we're talking about here mainly is is things like uh, soybean oil, corn corn oil, um, safflower oil, sunflower oil, canola oil, poppy seed oil, cottonseed oil, you know, like even things like um, olive oil and coconut oil and sesame oil. and, And these would come under that sort of like, category as well and obviously there's there's certain ones within that that generally could be a uh you know a better selection okay. yeah exactly we need to acknowledge that not all seed oils are created equally or not all polyunsaturated fats are, are created equally yeah so definitely around like you know the the olive oil and uh, you know uh, coconut oil okay which not going to have the same like uh, negative consequences mm-hmm. that we're going to talk about here and I, I guess the issue with a lot of these seed oils that they tend to be like refined you know uh they're, they're heavily processed and they 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 generally have a lot of omega-6s um and i like i don't want to make it sound like omega-6s of the devil in this instance either but you know there, there's definitely some aspects that we need to be mindful of especially when it comes to 
you know, dysbiosis and the issues that it can cause around the gut. But a lot of these processes that they can go through, you know, there's even like uh, what they call like chemical extraction processes and they have like, uh, what is it, uh, hexanes. And hexanes, they can be associated with a, a lot of like negative responses in the body. I think what it actually can create is even like mild central nervous system issues and, you know, like dizziness and mm. uh, giddiness and like these, I, I guess what you would say is like a lot of neurological and central nervous system complications. And they they easily oxidize as well. Yeah. Okay? And so for the layperson who doesn't know what this means, well, they break down very easily to heat temperatures. Uh, and that means they produce a lot of free radicals. Once again, what is, what's the consequence of this? Well, higher amounts of inflammation, oxidative damage to cells as well. So, and then hydrogenated fats, trans fatty acids. Well, this has problems around the cardiovascular system. So, you know, I think uh, like if I quote some, they, these are American stats. So I don't know, like maybe you've got some, some stats that might relate to other places around the world. But I think they say that, what is it like 20% of an American diet uh, might contain something like soybean oil. Now, what's the issues around this? Because we're obviously we're, we're really relating this to digestion is that would account for, I think, 9% of the calories that they're consuming coming mm. from uh, linoleic acid. Now, I don't want to make it sound like linoleic acid is the devil because it's not, but, you know, especially when we're eating out, okay, yeah. like we, we, are, we are getting exposed to high amounts of linoleic acid. And what's the issue here is, is linoleic acid depletes vitamin E. Okay, that's a fat-soluble vitamin. Now, and this is the link with like gut dysbiosis and people are going to go, well, what, I think, what's the link? Well, vitamin E is one of the key ingredients that you need for hydrochloric acid, like stomach acid. So, and, you know, stomach acid, apart from obviously helping with your ability to separate protein, I'll separate B12 from protein and obviously helping you to break down, you know, large chain of amino acids into smaller chains of amino acids and, and all these things, but it's your natural antimicrobial in the stomach lining. Okay. So it's going to stop, you know, bacterial overgrowth like mm. Helicobacter, H. pylori, okay. And, and other bacterial issues. So, and then you're not breaking down the food properly and it's getting past undigested or partially digested to the small intestine. And that can create other issues. So, you know, what I would say in this instance, um, trying to balance this out is essential. Yeah. Okay. So if you, if you consume more, uh, like omega-3 fatty acids. And once again, I think, you know, I don't think we've ever mentioned like the ratios, but I think a lot of people might've heard of the ratios before. Like we want, you know, the, the, the ratio between your omega-3s and your omega-6s. Now, maybe in the Paleolithic times, there was maybe evidence to show that it was about a one-to-one, -one. you know, it's pretty unrealistic in, in, in uh, <laughs> modern life. Yeah, okay? yeah. But, you know, they, they say optimal might be about a, a one to three. And we're talking about mm -hmm. that being in favor of the omega-6s. Now, from my understanding, anything over about a one to five is systemic inflammation in the liver. So you, you're, yeah. you're, you're really overburdening the liver, okay? And so what do what they say? I think there's literature to say that, you know, it, it might be as bad in modern society as like one to 15. Maybe yeah, I think I've even heard more than that, one to 20. You know, one, above, one, yeah. one to 26. Like I thought I read some literature where it's like one to 26, even mm. in a place like Australia, okay? Maybe even... In some individuals, like even exceeding beyond that, yeah, okay, well, when a one to 40 potentially, okay. So, and th th this is crazy. We're talking about like, you know, high inflammation here. And if you can mm -hmm. actually uh, consume more omega 3s, then that's going to have a positive impact in terms of 
uh, inhibiting the amount of omega-6 that is available in the tissue, yep. okay, and therefore reducing inflammation. Yeah. Um, I think we could probably do a whole episode on on omega-6s and omega-3s. It is certainly something which is a pretty interesting topic, and maybe we should do that in more detail at some point. Uh, I do think it's important to note that you touched on kind of this idea of how these these oils oxidize and part of the problem with that is you mentioned it's it's when they're exposed to heat that they oxidize and so if we're talking about eating food out how often is that oil changed like if you're buying food that's been deep fried in a in you know canola oil and this is like the travesty of this whole situation is these places well i've seen signs up everyone will have seen these signs where it's like we cook with heart healthy oils canola oil and it's well, like, isn't, it, isn't it like they, they classify as brominated uh, vegetable oil? Yeah. yeah? Which is being uh, linked to like uh, memory impairment. To yeah, Alzheimer's. Okay. This study is linked. Exactly. And and not only that, but what we're saying is, so this starts oxidizing. When it oxidizes, it, it creates trans fats. And I think what is it, every 2% increase in, in someone's dietary calories coming from trans fats, there's a two-fold increased chance of cardiovascular disease, I believe it is. So, like, we literally have data to say these are heart unhealthy fats and yet they're marketed as heart healthy. It is just madness. But anyway, so, you know, these places are cooking with these, these oils and they're just heating it up over and over and over again. So if you don't, and we can assume that some the places where you're buying food out, you know, whether it's a cafe, a burger joint, whatever, they're probably going to be using omega-6 or seed oils unless they're advertising otherwise, yeah? So some yeah, well, places... A lot, a, yeah, a lot of it is like, as I said, a lot of it is linoleic acid, yeah? yeah. And the, the other thing that there's a problem there as well is that linoleic acid gets converted into arachidonic acid, yeah? yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying arachidonic acid is is bad in this it's actually good because it actually helps with uh, the prostaglandin system this is beneficial okay and actually helps with vasodilation and vasoconstriction okay platelets immune immune cells okay but and and a lot of arachidonic acid you actually get from things like fish and uh, mm. animal proteins mm. and so forth okay but sort of what happens is like people consuming a lot of linoleic acid okay then it gets converted into the arachidonic acid and guess what get blamed gets blamed for it mm. well people say well there's well it actually can be because of these, these, these vegetable oils and safflower oil and sunflower oil and canola oil and so yeah. forth. It's getting converted to that. But then we say, well, it's the fish and the animal proteins. I just wanted yeah. to throw that in there because, uh, you know, it's, uh, we've got to be careful of what, what, what we're blaming here. Okay. Because I'd like from my experience and I'm sure you're the same. Okay. Like a lot of the time we're just eating out a lot more frequently. Okay. Yeah. And we're eating out a lot more frequently. And that's just the reality of the, uh, the types of oils that you're going to get exposed to. I mean, look, yeah. just think about it just from a profit margin perspective. I mean, they're not going to be rushing out and getting like coconut oil, which, you know, yeah. uh, you know is, is, is a lot more expensive. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, they're going to like even like olive oil is a lot more expensive. Okay. So they're yeah. not going to be spending money on these things. And so that's what you're coming into contact with. And I'm not saying like, once again, I'm saying that omega sixes and linoleic acid and arachidonic acid and these types of things you know, uh, a lot of omega-6s, they've got, you know, huge benefits in the body. But once again, we're just talking about the- <laughs> Not in the ratio of amounts and the, Yeah, yeah, like huge uh, ratio discrepancies yeah. here. Uh, so what so can what, someone do? Yeah, so like, I mean, I mean, 
I think it can be hard just to say like over, over, you know, holiday periods and so forth, just mm. we'll eat a lot more omega threes. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, but it's not going to hurt. Yeah. Okay. That's yep. for sure. Okay. You should be trying to do that. And so, so that'd be know, like oily, a cod liver oil. Yeah. Like fish. oily, but oily fish, like yep. sardines, anchovies, uh, wild salmon must, must make sure it's wild salmon. Okay. Yes. Um, fresh tuna, fresh mackerel, these types of things. Okay. So get a lot more oily fish. That's obviously a good way to do it. But I, I would also say that, you're probably just going to need to have, you know, uh, maybe even like a fish oil rotation. And even when you look at uh, essential fatty acids, okay, arachidonic acid is actually one that's really important, but also like DHA. And I probably have the tendency over this time, uh, over this period, like holiday season and so forth, is yes, like cod liver oil, because cod liver oil, you know, um, and I, you know, there's certain brands, I think you like told me like Kirkman Labs with the vitamin A concentrations a little bit higher okay so you're getting like fat soluble vitamins you know vitamin d but you are getting epa and you are getting dha mm. but the, the the dha and the epa concentrations are a little bit lower okay so what i would probably have the tendency to include is taking some dha as well yeah okay mm. and the reason being okay because you know a lot of inflammation is the brain and DHA is really important for the neurons in the brain, mm. really important for the hippocampus, like the gray matter, okay? And really, like, so 97% of all the omega-3 fatty acids uh, in the brain are DHA mm. and really important for the joints. I've actually mm. found, like, um, I always talk about this, like people with rheumatoid arthritis, that they have low amounts of DHA in the joints, yeah. Yeah, okay? Yeah. So really good for inflammation, that arthritic pain, which, let's be honest, Okay, with a lot of things that you're consuming over this uh, period of time, you're probably going to have a lot more of that going on. So mm. I'm just going to find like um, your good quality DHA and actually even having that on top of during uh, the holiday season is uh, like, I'm not afraid to just up the ante a little bit. Yeah. And that's that's one reason I do prefer cod liver oil over fish oil because it is generally high in DHA. And you can get some cod liver oils that are, ridiculously high in dha like have as much as a standard dha supplement so that's that is a really good idea to add in and you don't need to go don't need to be scared to go high dose here you know i know you go as high as you know a tablespoon a couple of times a day during this period you know that's not a bad idea at all if you are going to be you know having more polyunsaturated fatty acids that you wouldn't normally be having i think other things as well so for me some of the stuff that i would do if i eat out is uh, if possible, I am going to try to find out what oils they are cooking in. And so there are some cafes and, and some you know venues that do advertise that they cook with things like avocado oil or coconut oil. Uh, and if you do find a place that does advertise that, that might be a good one to to kind of prioritize and maybe try to you know go out to, to venues like that more often. Uh, and if I don't, if I'm not able to find a place that's cooking in, you know, avocado oil or coconut oil or ghee or butter or, or something like that, um, then I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to be getting something which is drenched in oil. You know, I'm not going to get something that's deep fried. I'm going to get something that's either pan fried or it's grilled or, you know, ideally grilled would be my, my preferred. Um, and it's always important if you are getting something that's grilled, just clarify that it doesn't have flour on it. A lot of the time places will just coat it in some flour. And so if we're wanting to be conscious of gluten, again, you want to double check that they're not just putting some normal wheat flour on top of your grilled fish or whatever it is you're having. So that would be a couple of things I'd be conscious of doing or that I personally do when I eat out. Um, anything else you want to add to the whole oil situation? I mean, yeah, maybe like maybe it can be worth like, you know, yes, we talked about the cod liver oil and, and mm. obviously the DHA, but 
but maybe even like other compounds that might just actually help to deal with the inflammatory load, you know, um, like a colleague and, and, and um, someone who talks about this quite often and, and we've talked about it is like the pro-resolving mediators and they're yeah. enzymatically, um, you know, derived from like fatty acids, but combining that with something like a curcumin, which is like sort of yeah. like nature's anti, anti-inflammatory. But if you get the pro-resolving mediators and you combine that with the curcumin, um, you know, maybe listen to some of the stuff that Ben Can talks about with the pro-resolving mediators, okay? but just using that to help to uh, deal with the, you know, sort of like modulate and regulate the inflammatory load, that can, that can be like a, a good add-on. Yeah, yeah. And one last thing I want to add there as well is um, a lot of these oils are found in places you might not expect. So aioli or mayonnaise, you know, these kind of like, um, you know, oily-based sources, that's where a lot of this stuff is found as well. So for me, again, if I'm eating out, that's something I'm just going to be a little bit conscious of is I'm going to pick something which maybe is is like a tomato base or like a salsa base or something like that over like an aioli or a mayonnaise because it's just going to be full of canola oil. So you can always like, you know, even if you're, you could be going out to a burger joint and you can still quite easily choose to get something which is, you know, it's a not a deep fried burger, you know, don't go for something that's coated, go for something which is grilled, go go for something which has, you know, a tomato-based salsa on there instead of an aioli. And you can still make smarter decisions even at the same place. You know, you don't necessarily need to go to a completely different, um, you know, restaurant or, or whatever. You can actually just make little modifications to the menu and you can minimize some of these foods that you're being that you're consuming. Yep. It's, uh, it's good advice. <laughs> Should we talk about alcohol? <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, I think that's, uh, it's definitely relevant. So it's on, on everyone's mind. Yeah. I mean, like once again, it's, uh, you know, a lot of the time, of course, like when we're trying to repair the gut, um, we are getting people to, to stay clear of alcohol. I mean, but we're not saying it's the devil, like, you know, far from it. And, do I uh, acknowledge that there can be some medicinal benefits to alcohol? Yes. But we're talking about good quality alcohol here as well, um, going through the right fermentation process. And that's really, really essential. Yeah, okay. Because I'm not taking away from, you know, something like a good quality red wine in terms of the high amounts of like phytonutrients like resveratrol and these types of things. Um, but once again, as long as it's gone through the right process, but we need to understand when it comes to, you know, looking after the gut, I mean, alcohol gets converted to ethanol, ethanol to acetaldehyde, okay? And that means it can be very detrimental, especially to the tight junction proteins. And so for people who don't know, acetaldehyde can actually damage tight junction proteins and actually actually very detrimental to occludin, which is the one, one of the major filter proteins in the at the top of the tight junctions or the intracellular tight junctions. So you actually damage that. And that could actually lead to uh, promoting more hyperpermeability through the tight junctions. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and I'm not saying it's the culprit, but it's definitely, once again, uh, a little bit like glide, a little bit like gluten. Okay. It's like, it's stoking the fire. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. It's, it's poking the bear. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. In the right mix where there's other things going on. I think there's, I'm not sure if you've seen this study. There's, a, there's I believe it is done in, done in mice, um, but it did look at the effect of alcohol on bile acid secretion. And it did found that there was a, a decrease in bile acid secretion in, in mice that were consuming alcohol. Uh, and then part of the conclusion they drew from that was 
um, it could lead to bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine because of that effect. And again, it is a mouse study, I'm not familiar studies showing the same thing in humans. Um, but if, you know, the mix is right and you've got, you know, slow motility, you've got a bacterial overgrowth anyway, you've got bile acid issues anyway, then like you said, this could certainly be stoking the fire. And, and also if you, if you definitely know that you've got certain, already got certain pathogens and bacterial mm. overgrowth, and especially in this instance, like ones that, that already release acetaldehyde, like so where, where ethanol and acetaldehyde are already an issue. And that would be, you know, things like protozoa parasites. So examples of that, like blastocystis hominis, dentamibphagillus, guardia. So if you already know you've got that, well, you know, this is a lot of acetaldehyde. And the other thing is like candida and yeast and CFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth. Now, yes, candida and yeast and, and small intestinal fungal overgrowth can expel anywhere from, what is it, like 80 to 95 different toxins in your system. It's a lot. But the big issue here is around ethanol and acetaldehyde. And so all you're doing is if you know you've got these things, uh, you're exacerbating the amount of acetaldehyde that you're getting exposed to, okay? And acetaldehyde is a neurotoxin. When we go into like, you know, candida and yeast and a lot more depth, it's very detrimental to the brain, but it's also very detrimental to your energy systems. And, and it can even impede on your ability to be more efficient at fat mobilization and, uh, and these types of things. So if you know that you've got these things, you know, really our advice would be that you, if you can, you, you probably want to really minimize it or if you can like avoid it because mm -hmm. it's just really going to aggravate a lot more of those neurological issues and issues around ATP and, and energy. So, mm -hmm. but there are better choices. And yeah. so that's, that's what we're going to talk about here. And I say, look, you know, maybe just on the wine aspect, you know, because obviously some of the issues around wine, I, I would just say like quality is a big thing, but obviously you can have a lot of things like sulfates and, and, and these can be quite detrimental, but you can get, what is it like food grade hydrogen peroxide? Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you can actually get like drops that you can actually uh, put into the into your wine to actually deal with that. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm pretty like, well, once again, don't fully quote me on that. You can get it from places like Dan Murphy and so forth, but I think you... Uh, well, the hydrogen you know, peroxide you can get from Dan Murphy's. Uh, I think you can get the drops. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Actually, I mean, Woolies, yeah. like the supermarket sells hydrogen peroxide, but I, I'd be wanting to measure it out correctly. I wouldn't want to just put a, a splash in a bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm just saying like there, there are some mechanisms you can use to, <laughs> to deal with that. And the other thing that I would say is that there's, there's certain alcoholic uh, drinks that, that once again, that just can be a lot easier on the gut. Okay. Yeah. And it, once again, it doesn't mean they're perfect, um, but they just don't have the same fermentation rate. So yeah. look, if you do have things like, you know, SIBO, I mean, once again, it's a gut motility issue, um, but it's a ferment, you've got fermentation issues in the gut. And in that instance, you know, there's certain alcoholic drinks that just don't sit there and ferment for a long period of time, but there's other ones that, would be terrible okay a great yeah. example of that would be like red wine okay it's got yeah. a high rate of fermentation and, and that that's just a high aggravator it's going to give you a lot of uh, gastrointestinal distress so this is uh, good Dave, because what you're saying is if someone's got because someone may not know they've got SIBO if they do great but if they don't know so if, if you're someone who's got more typical ibs type symptoms you get a lot of bloating maybe you get loose stools you might undulate between loose stools and constipation maybe you're more prone to like histamine type responses like hives or allergies seasonal allergies so in that instance a wine is probably not a good choice definitely not a, a lot of red wines yeah okay but you yeah. actually look at it if you 
obviously look at the low FODMAP outline. Okay, there's certain types of wines. I think it might be, you know, some of the white wines and, yeah. and, and maybe like something like rosé. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're sort of dealing with less mature grapes. Yeah, okay. And so the yeah. fermentation is just not as high as something as a red wine. Don't fully quote me on all the, the different types of wines, but there's certain types of wines, once again, that might just be uh, a little bit more, uh, friendly on the digestive system and just not have that same rate of fermentation. Yeah. But generally, you know, clear liquor does tend to be a lot better on the gut. And I probably apply this to a lot of digestive complications, even around like when you do have like hyperpermeability and with, you know, severe intestinal permeability and damage to the gut lining. If you really do want to have an alcoholic drink, I do tend to find that the clear liquor, and there's two that I'm talking about mainly from my perspective, and, and maybe you've got some recommendations as well, but um, vodka okay now i want to clear this up always have to um, make sure that people know what i'm talking about here i am talking about potato vodka now people go why would you assume anything else well i i, <laughs> I only just learned that um, potato vodka only makes up about maybe three percent of the the vodka market yeah, no, okay? not at all surprised. i didn't think it but because when i say that to people they sort of laugh and the reason they're laughing is because they i think they perceive that pretty much all vodka does oh, really? come from it's potatoes. mostly wheat, isn't it? It's mostly wheat, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look, if you drink, you know, wheat-based vodka, it's literally like someone's put a flamethrower down your throat. It's really, really harsh. Like potato vodka is very, very smooth. No wonder back in the day they could just like knock it back like water because <laughs> it, it is really smooth, okay? So you've got to make, there, there are potato vodkas out there, okay? I want to make that clear. But, but I think you have to just, get them online. I don't, I haven't seen them in a shop before. Yeah, you'd probably tend to find like, you know, some of the Polish vodkas and okay. so forth. Yeah, okay, but just look at the ingredients. So it should be um, f fermented from potatoes. And of course, you want to look at good quality, you know, that they've sourced it from good quality sources, like organic mm. potatoes and so forth. You know, I know in Australia, where I'm based at the moment, like Hepburn Springs, they do a great organic potato vodka. Okay, and it's actually just derived from... Uh, they actually derive it from the spring, the, the spring water here. Okay, so it's good quality water and like organic potatoes. But there are companies definitely doing this. And once again, from a fob, it's, it's fobmat friendly. It doesn't have this high rate of fermentation. It's just easier in the easier on the gut. And also, what I would say is doing that with something like a sparkling mineral water. And why sparkling mineral water over something like a soda water is. We need to understand that that's obviously sodium-based, like soda water. Bit of debate around, like, does it cause some complications around, like, you know, like hydrochloric acid and stomach acid? But, you know, like mineral water, it's just you get, you're getting a lot of different minerals. You're getting magnesium, you're getting calcium, okay, you're getting chloride, bicarbonate, phosphorus, okay, you're just getting so many different minerals. So at least, like, we're, at least we're mixing it with something that's, that's actually promoting like a little bit more like electrolyte balance and hydration yeah okay and even like combining that with something like lime it's got really powerful polyphenols actually interesting enough you look at things that are um like so polyphenols like antioxidants so you look at things like olive oil green tea maybe the polyphenols like stick around the system for about like four hours where something like lime they say can stick around in your system for up to 24 hours and it's got even like uh anti-parasitic benefits i mean mm. i think they used to use it um, in ancient cultures to sterilize water to to uh, sort of like disinfect it and it's really high in uh, you know things like potassium and minerals so using something like uh, potato vodka with a sparkling mineral water and like half a lime okay um, and then the other one is that I would give people more towards would be like gin okay once again a lot of gin can be wheat based I know people are going to find that hard to believe but 
Just uh, on that though, if it is wheat based, it doesn't mean that it's got gluten. So just so people know that's correct. Yeah. A concern, but obviously it is, I mean, there might still be trace elements of glyphosate. I'm not sure. There's still going to be other other issues yeah. there. Well, a lot of the time it comes down to where they've sourced that from and so forth. And like the way I look at it is like I always go, Well, what did it what did they use to ferment it from? Okay. Mm. And that's always going to be my preferred, my my preferred option. Now Volker came from potatoes and gin came from juniper berries. Um, now, there are certain companies, I think it actually might be some of the old companies that still do it from juniper berries. Um, I think that's a little bit easier to find than, some, than potato vodka, but there are companies that do it. Now, once again, it just don't have, does, doesn't have the same issues, the same fermentation issues within the gut. You know, there are options, okay? And also what I would say is like, if, you know, okay, if you, if you do want to have a drink and maybe if you want to have a little bit more than just a few. Well, there's things that you can do to actually yeah. help um, to to so deal with some of. Just before you touch on those, because they are important, and we don't want to just give people their, you know, take this supplement and, and fix all the issues, but we will get there. So to recap, you're saying um, wine probably not the best option if you do have a bacterial overgrowth or you've got like permeability or you've got histamine issues. Um, maybe not as big of an issue with something like yeast potentially would you say or yeah i mean the, the, the issue that i've got with like yeast candida you know cfo like even like probably less you know problematic around like you know protozoa parasites and mm. so forth but yeah like acetaldehyde is an issue which yeah, is going to be okay. an issue with all alcohols though so exactly, you know, yeah. ultimately in an ideal world we'd say you've got a yeast issue let's skip the alcohol but if that's not happening well there's i'd say the worst one would be br I don't know about you, but I mean, there's, there's nothing good about BA. Some of it contains gluten. It's got yeast. It's obviously it's an alcohol. Mold. Like yeah. And, okay. and mold like, content. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then obviously generally, if you've got like yeast and candida issues, I mean, there definitely can be like mold issues there. So having something that is renowned for, for, they're actually containing mold is definitely not going to be the no. the way to go. So we can rule that one out effectively, I would say. The wine, like you said, going to depend a little bit on the particular issue. One thing I would say with the wine, there is some evidence to suggest it does shift microbiome balance a little bit. And I've seen some, one study at least, to suggest that lactobacillus rhamnosus can actually prevent some of that microbiome shift. And so if someone was consuming wine semi-regularly, I would recommend potentially having a lactobacillus rhamnosus in that instance. Um but then, like you said, outside of those, the safest ones, in your opinion, would be a good quality traditional vodka, good quality traditional, what do you say, gin? Juniper berry gin. It sounds funny when I say that, but just take note of these things. It does make a big difference. And yeah, as I said, if, uh, you know, if you do have something like SIBO and these fermentation issues, there are some wines, like maybe some of the ones that less mature yeah. grapes, like rosé and maybe some of the selective white wines and so forth that are going to be less problematic in this instance. And also just like, once again, I, I think the thing is when we get exposed to these things, like we're not, once again, we're not saying that they're the devil and we're not saying don't never do it. Okay. But also don't put your head in the sand. That's yeah. what I would say. Okay. Like just put something in place to mitigate some of the negative impacts. I mean, yeah. like at the end of the day, okay. Um, apart from what we talked about in terms of like being detrimental to the gut lining and, Occludin and all these types of things. Okay. But like, you know, like alcohol depletes you a lot of B vitamins. Yep. Okay. Uh, okay. And they're essential like coenzymes. Okay. So what I would say is replenish what you essentially have taken out. Yeah. Okay? Using up. Yeah. Okay. And that could be just using something like a, a good quality B complex, like methyl B vitamins. Yeah. And also 
you know, you get a lot more dehydrated. Um, and with that, I would just, you know, something like a good quality electrolyte, maybe yeah. something like a Cineplex Revive mm-hmm. electrolytes, or you could use a natural electrolyte, you know, like half a lime, quarter of a teaspoon of Celtic sea salt. So, and I, I would strongly advise is even upping your concentration of something like magnesium because you're definitely um, going to also deplete yourself quite heavily of like magnesium. Yeah. yeah. Okay. A lot of electrolytes, um, a good electrolyte supplement will have magnesium added to it anyway. So, so you're saying a good B complex, a good electrolyte supplement that has some magnesium or magnesium added on top. Um, would you recommend like a liposomal glutathione and or a binder as well? Yeah, look, definitely like a GI binder. Okay. So something that's going to help to pull in the toxins and, you know, some of these negative byproducts that yeah. you, you, you're obviously going to find in the, in the alcohol. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A lot of the time, you know, uh, people talk about activated charcoal in this instance, which is definitely can be very effective. Um, the one that I could be interested in just because it, you know, obviously with activated charcoal being a GI binder, it pulls in minerals as well. It's a very effective GI binder though. I will it say is what that, I normally yeah. recommend. It's so cheap as well. Like it's just, it's easy to get, it's accessible, it's cheap. And like you said, you do lose a bit of, of minerals, but from what I've seen in studies, even with fairly prolonged use it doesn't seem to have that big of an impact i think maybe we've overblown it a little bit sometimes mm. but did you but i wouldn't be that? i wouldn't be against using a modified citrus pectin especially like <laughs> i thought you, you were going to say that one well just because if you if you've got the bacterial issues you know you've got the bacterial mm. issues okay the the added bonus i'm saying you're going to get from modified citrus pectin is just that it does protect the blood brain barrier if you're a female and you've got women's health ailments like endometriosis well then it's going to give you some benefits yeah. around that so and then it's you know amazing against lps so if you know that you've got like gram bacteria mostly SIBO does have the tendency to to be predominantly like negative gram bacteria. So if you know if you've got those like bacterial complications, then using a modified citrus pectin, okay. Now, once again, if you if you are going to drink a little bit more, you know, probably like one teaspoon once a day, which is what I would tend to use with, with individuals, probably not going to cut it. You might need to have like one teaspoon twice a day in that instance to have a little bit more, okay. Well, I, I just say like you, you generally need to up the ante a little bit if you are getting exposed to a lot more of these things. Yeah. And a glutathione, would you use a liposomal? Yeah, look, look, definitely. Like, look, like even for a lot of the things that we're talking about here, you mm-hmm. know, because like even with the the you know the higher amounts of like omega sixes and the polyunsaturated fats in this instance, because potentially if you've got like way higher ratios and that's causing systemic inflammation in the liver, well, one of the best things for that is glutathione. Mm-hmm. Now, once again, the type of glutathione that is going to be better for you is really going to depend on your circumstances. So if you do find that you, you know, you, you know that you've got like candida and yeast and CIFO or protozoal parasites, and I'd say generally like an NAC, okay, it is a precursor to glutathione. Okay. But you're getting all these other benefits, especially like neurologically because NAC actually helps with glutamate homeostasis, which is like, you know, if you, if you've got that going on, okay, like high glutamate activity in the brain, that's linked to a lot of psychiatric and neurodegenerative disorders. So I would say if there's, you've got those types of issues like the NAC, if you know you've just got issues producing glutathione, whether that means you've got issues with the enzymes like glutathione synthetase enabling you to produce glutathione, then something like an S-acetyl glutathione would be a little bit more beneficial in that instance, especially if you you know what's going on with your blood markers. Okay, Well, not everyone's going to know, but if you've had a tendency to have low GGT, gamma glutamyl transferase, and we say that's one of the most important markers going around because it's probably a reflection of longevity, but it's a, mm. definitely a reflection of your glutathione pools and your ability to synthesize glutathione from the liver. And then 
like liposomal glutathione, okay? So, you know, obviously droplets, okay, gets uptaken in the mitochondria and the cells more efficiently. So maybe if you've got like blood sugar management dysregulation and just energy issues, then something like a liposomal glutathione is going to be beneficial. But yes, like, you know, because you're probably going to be a lot more prone to high amounts of free radicals, oxidative stress, okay, or oxidative damage to the cells and all these types of things. Well, taking something that is very protective of that is essential. And that's where like, you know, some sort of glutathione support would really come into its own. So if that was me, I would have one or two servings of a B complex in the evening before I was going to drink. And then before I go out to drink, I would have, and, and I don't do this to be honest, I don't drink, but if I did, then I would have, uh, probably like a one or two servings of a liposomal glutathione. And then after I get back, I would have a binder, like an activated charcoal or modified citrus pectin before bed. Is that more or less how you would do it? Yeah. I mean, like, look, I'd, I'd really ramp up the, the, the dosaging, the electrolytes. Yeah. Really ramp that up. I might really something like, you know, like a magnesium, whatever magnesium you're taking, whether it's like, look at probably a glycinate is going to be better in that instance might make you give you some loose stools. Okay. But actually uh, a little bit more uh, effective when it comes to like liver detoxification. Okay. Um, but you might take up to, you know, cause normally we'd say like 10 milligrams per one kilo of body weight, but you might take up to something like, you know, 1600 milligrams. If you're a male, you know, 1200 milligrams, if you're female, that's really based on, females and men when they're stressed okay but in this instance you're definitely going to need a, a higher dosage okay um and you know uh yes i definitely I, I don't necessarily know if i'd go crazy on the methyl b vitamins i mean i'll just make sure that i'm taking it you know for a period of time probably over mm. the holiday season okay mm. um it's not something that i necessarily think um people need to use B vit methyl B vitamins all the time. It totally depends on the person. And yes, you know, whether it's uh, activated charcoal or something like modified citrus pectin, if I knew that I was going to have a few more drinks and so forth, then I'd probably start taking, you know, like something like the activated charcoal, you probably just take on the day, you know, and into the night and then take it through the next day. But something like modified citrus pectin because of all the other benefits, I mean, you yeah. could probably take that over the sort of holiday period, okay, or take it for, you know, build it up before you know you're going to probably drink a little bit more and then keep on taking it a little while after. Once again, I, I think I would really base that on the, on the individual. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Is there, I think they're the, the key foods I personally would be looking out for during the holiday season. Um, is there any sort of final tips or final foods you wanted to mention for people to be aware of? I mean, look, look just, just, you know, and I, I look, I don't tend to, think this one's like the, the end of the world. I want to make it clear. And I'm definitely not talking about it in, in regards to you putting on weight and around calories or Can anything like that. Can I guess like what that. you're going to say? Yeah, go for it, mate. You're talking about sugar? Sugar. Um, but like, I think it's just important for people to be, you know, like I, I, a lot of the time I say to my clients, okay, it's okay. You have a little bit of sugar, yep. but we just need to understand that when you are having high concentrations of sugar, because of the negative impact that it can have on your white blood cells, we, we, we know that it can have a, a, a real negative impact on like neutrophils. They make up 50 to 60% of your white blood cell supply, mainly gets into the gut to fight off infection in the gut. And they, and they deal with things like yeast and candida, negative gram bacteria. And, you know, they did research with actually showed that high sugar consumption was like they were injecting people with like 90 uh, milligrams of liquid sugar, well, obviously that's going to be a little bit more impactful when it's like liquid sugar. Okay. Um, but that was like wiping out the neutrophil count for like 
five hours. So if and you're doing it frequently, okay, you are going to have a negative impact on your on your neutrophils, and you're going to have mm-hmm. a negative impact on your white blood cells. Hence, why it leaves you a, a lot more prone to opportunistic bacteria, and it leaves you a lot more prone to colds and flus and, yeah. and, and getting sick. So I would say using things that are really going to actually help to 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 you know protect your immune system okay boost up your immune system vitamin c like a liposomal vitamin c helps the synthesis of white blood cells you know we sort of talked about these things vitamin a because it actually helps the stem cells you know lymphoid stem cells myeloid stem cells vitamin d yeah okay um you know uh because it sort of like governs your white blood cells it governs your immune system making sure that yeah cold therapy you know that's probably not going to be one that everyone's going to gravitate gravitate towards, but yeah, it's, look, it's amazing for increasing like neutrophils, lymphocytes, monocytes, especially if you're sitting immunosuppressed. Making sure that you've just got things that are looking after the immune system. I would say, like, considering your your gut lining is such a big player in immunity, especially when it comes to the mucosa, lamina propria, gut associated lymphoid tissue, anything that's going to look after that tissue. I guess what we could throw in there is like. This, this might be a good time to use something like a BPC-157. I know it's like, it's, you know, it's like gold dust at the moment. Okay. Well, it's uh, more expensive than gold. I don't know if you know that. It's apparently by weight, it's more expensive and it's it's more rare. <laughs> I'd say you just can't and, find and, it. And, 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 and maybe more valuable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'd say like uh, anything that's going to be a lot more bang for your buck and just really look after that structure, like a BPC-157, you know, goat's colostrum. Uh, these things are going to look after yeah. that structure. Like you'd be mad not to be using these types of things to to protect the structure. Yeah. Okay. Like you've got to protect the structure because guess what? You are going to. Uh, I'm not being pessimistic. Okay. There is going to be some compromisation to that gut lining structure. Yeah. Um, so if I, you have if you have like a zinc L carnosine, and then you have some cod liver oil, which you're getting the vitamin A, you're getting vitamin D, and then you have some vitamin C, whether that's a liposomal vitamin C, you chuck in some kakadu plum powder with your colostrum, like that's that's sort of a mix everyone should be doing if they want to support the gut structure during this time, hey? Guaranteed, okay? It's just because you're just going to get the most bang for your buck with that. And as I said, if you, if you, if you can, you know, give the, the building blocks to the, the epithelium and the connective tissue, you'll be able to look after it, okay? Once again, it's... <laughs> You either do that or head in the sand and then you're going to be dealing with yeah. the ramifications of the damage that you're going to create in the gut lining, okay? And potentially, not potentially, you will make your bacterial issues even worse, okay? Mm-hmm. And you're going to respond, you know, really poorly to a lot of the foods that you're consuming. That's good. That's it. That's a wrap. I think that's given people some, hopefully it's given people some ideas of what to look out for and, and how they can still enjoy food out and enjoy meals out and still make some conscious decisions. So, we hope you guys all have an amazing time with friends and family and, and connect together over meals. It's certainly an important aspect, which has been um, been difficult to do over the last two years. So we do want to encourage you guys that, you know, meals together and, and what I would call tabletop spirituality, where we share, um, you know, communities with meals together is really important. So this time, you know, you've talked about the impact of some of this stuff on immune function. Well, we know that actually being socially connected is one of the most important things we can do from an immune function standpoint as well. So we do want to encourage you guys to make the most of this time. Um, you know, if, if you have sort of dealt with some of the isolation, alienation that's come over the last two years, then certainly be looking out for opportunities to connect with people over the next holiday period and beyond. Yeah, we're, we're community beings. It is just that simple. And, 
community, if you just look at it from a biochemical impact on the body, I mean, you probably don't get anything more significant. Yeah. Um, brain derived neurotrophic factor, oxytocin, all these things. I love the, I obviously love the biochemical aspect, but, <laughs> um, but you know, that's why, you know, I know like having alcohol and having it with like friends and family. Okay. Like that, that's where the real benefit is. And that's where, you know, we, we need to be gravitating people a lot more towards community yeah. back to community. Yeah. And we'll do an episode on that in the future as well, because it is such an, an such a vital part of health that is often overlooked. So we'll uh, see you guys next year and we hope you all have a wonderful New Year's and Christmas period. And thanks for everyone's support. There's so much gratitude for that. Thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in a gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.